Hello, you wondrous humans listening. Welcome to the second season of the Ask Ha podcast, my journey towards motherhood. I'm Chrissy, and I'm on a mission to spark curiosity and aliveness. This human experience we're all having can be so rich, so full of meaning and feeling, or not. And I personally want to experience it all, the joys, the heartaches, the fears. And I want to help others do that too, through immersive experience that facilitate connection with yourself, each other, and the world, through one-on-one coaching, workshops, and this podcast. In this season, I share my journey towards motherhood while still debating whether or not I want to be a mother. I share the ups and downs, the moments of certainty and the moments of doubt. I share what it means to be a human wrestling with something as only us humans can do. In this tussle, I get curious about my body, signs from the universe, other people's stories of ambivalence. I come alive in my feelings and I shut them down again and then come alive. This season, like me, is a work in progress. I hope you'll join me for a bit in the beautiful mess of it all. Thank you so much for being here. Hello, hello, podsters, listeners, humans with feelings, ambivalencesters. I don't know what else to call you, but I am coming to you today with some news, an update on my journey towards motherhood, and it involves the gift of life. Nope, it is not what you think. In fact, it might be quite the opposite. For the next three months, we have taken a pause from trying to conceive. So let me take a few steps back. A month ago, we met with a nurse practitioner from Kind Body, and we're told that the suggested next course of action for pursuing pregnancy for us would be IVF, in vitro fertilization, the process of feeding my ovaries a steady stream of hormones that make them essentially overproduce eggs, retrieving those eggs, these like tiny, tiny microscopic things, y'all making these like little egg sperm sandwiches or embryos or whatever you want to call them, raiding those embryos and then determining which ones to implant, either right away or later, depending on the harvest. We were told that given our age and our stats for both the swimmers and the eggs, that we have a 5% chance of conceiving naturally. So we left that appointment agreeing to start egg retrieval the next cycle. Until we got off the phone and Joey was like, it's moving too fast. I need more time to think. He was panicking. And so I was panicking. That's a total exaggeration. No one was actually panicking. We were having open, honest, transparent, difficult conversations about how we wanted to proceed. We booked a coaching session to talk through everything. We decided to wait a few months until Joe had landed his next gig to give ourselves some more security. We felt good. We feel good. We're good. All is good. But we were still going to keep trying for that 5% chance of conception. Like we weren't just going to be like, donezo, onezo. No. However, 10 days later, 
on a delightfully sunny Chicago Friday, I got two back-to-back emails to my business email, which, by the way, has only been around for the last four years. This comes into play soon. One with the subject line, gift of life, and the other, future hero, you're a match. They essentially said the same thing. I'll read one. Hello, Christina. We have some exciting news for you. You have been identified as a life-saving match for a 65-year-old woman battling myelodysplastic disorder in need of a stem cell donation. What does this mean? You have the unique opportunity to give someone the gift of life. When you joined Gift of Life's registry on April 5th, 2005, in New York at Columbia University, you joined a group of lifesavers ready to be called when the time would come. We are thrilled to let you know that now is your chance to save the life of a 65-year-old woman. So let me pause right there. I got this email, and I was immediately taken back to the Columbia Quad 18 years ago. I remember being stopped, being told about the bone marrow registry and how I could save someone's life, how this was not a decision to take lightly, that they wanted people to join the registry only if they were serious about being a donor if and when the time came, that the procedure would require anesthesia and several weeks of recovery. I remember feeling really good about my decision to give my swab and get on the list. But when I got this email, it's like this feeling of joy and service and connection with humanity was awakened. And the interesting thing was it felt like it had happened in at just the right Friday. Just a few days before I had had breakfast with a friend of mine from many years back who was in town visiting from Abu Dhabi. And she told me the story of how her six-year-old was saved through the good of strangers. Uh, She told me how they raised a GoFundMe for a surgery that he needed to to get at Boston Children's, even though they were living in Israel at the time, so the insurance wouldn't cover it. She told me how the campaign went viral in Israel and hundreds of people donated to save her son. Strangers, all strangers. She told me how a man from the UK donated something along the lines of $250,000. She told me how one of the board members at Boston Children's, when they still didn't have all the funds just before they were going to fly over for the surgery and the hospital wasn't going to be able to perform the surgery unless they had all the funds accounted for, stepped in and said that she would be their guarantor and would cover anything that wasn't covered if they weren't able to raise it. She told me all of these stories on Wednesday about how humans came out of the woodwork to support this little baby that they had never met, had no connection to, with their money, with their resources, with their love. On Thursday, I am in an online workshop where we are talking about abundance and flow. And the theme of the conversation was 
doing kind things for people. And the idea was sometimes we get really stuck in our heads and stuck kind of in the monotony of life, stuck in the day-to-day grind, so to speak. But a way to get us out of that is to do something kind for someone. And it can be as simple as buying someone a coffee when they're behind you in line at the local coffee shop or sending someone a care package or simply smiling and telling someone that you really love their outfit. It can be so many different things to show kindness, right? So on Friday, when I received this email, it sort of felt like it was meant to be. Like, of course, I've gotten this email today after having had this beautiful conversation with my friend about her son, having had a conversation with many folks about the power of of kindness and giving of yourself, it literally was like, yeah, okay. And my immediate response was, of course, I'm going to do this. So when I called the number on the email to get more information, you know, I was pretty much game. Of course, I had a lot of questions, but I was pretty much like, look, if I have to give some bone marrow through a needle in my hip and that can save someone's life, like, I'll do that. But what I've learned is that it's actually a lot less complicated of a procedure than it used to be. So I've actually learned a bunch of things. I've discovered that the process to collect stem cells has evolved quite a bit in two decades. It's no longer necessary in most cases to stick a needle straight into the hip to collect bone marrow. Um, Some patients, specifically younger patients, uh, do need that full uh, bone marrow retrieval, but most people do not. Uh, There's no general anesthesia, no several weeks of recovery. Instead, you take a medication for five days that increases stem cell production in the body to the extent that the stem cells actually show up in the bloodstream. So... Then, much like collecting plasma or platelets, which I have done before, they hook the donor up to an apheresis machine, which is a little washing machine for blood. And so through one arm, they take the blood out. They throw it in the apheresis machine where it takes out the stem cells uh, and then immediately put the blood sans stem cells back into the body via the other arm. And this process takes four to six hours. And then it's pretty much done. What I found out through this process is that only one out of 200 people who join the registry ever get matched. And in fact, that's what the woman over the phone told me. But on their website, it actually says one out of a thousand people. And it's becoming increasingly rare to be matched because as the world globalizes, there are many more mixed ethnicity and mixed race children. I'm not going to go into like the science of it all, but it's my understanding if you've had a culture where a lot of people continue to intermarry um, with each other, you have a higher likelihood of being able to give each other stem cells if you're within that community. The minute that people start kind of having children from different communities, you get this like one thing from your dad, this one thing from your mom, and thus it makes it more complicated to find a match. Um, because it's just less common to have like those two particular ethnicities together at any given time. So there's actually a huge need for people of mixed race and mixed ethnicity to go into 
the to, to to be on the stem cell registry. In fact, the the data as for many things in the sciences is actually pretty abhorrent where it's something along the lines of 98% of white people get a stem cell match if they are in need versus 20 some percent of mixed race folks. So, um huge need for especially uh, Latino folks, Black folks, and mixed-race folks to join the registry. So that's just a little bit of sort of the data that I've learned. Um, The other cool thing to think about was that the 65-year-old woman who I might be able to help probably shares my ancestry. So she may be Finnish or Irish. And that's kind of cool to just like think about that. So... The question, of course, what does all of this have to do with my fertility journey? To donate stem cells, I cannot be pregnant. So the first step to becoming a stem cell donor was to take a medical questionnaire. And one of the questions was, do you have plans to get pregnant in the next few months? I answered yes. By answering yes, another question revealed itself would you be willing to pause these plans for upwards of three months? So let me take you a little bit deeper into the process. After my medical team was satisfied with the results of my questionnaire, things like, um, you know, how much do I drink and weight and what diseases have I had? Have I had cancer, et cetera, et cetera. I got blood work done to determine that I was, in fact, the same Christina McMenamin who had given the cheek swab 18 years ago and to make sure I had no infectious diseases. Following confirmation of all that, it's pretty much a waiting game. Will the 65-year-old woman with myelodysplastic disorder, which in my research has told me is like a pre-leukemia, be in good enough shape to receive a stem cell transplant? They have to essentially kill her body's entire immune system for the body to be able to receive the stem cells uh, and not reject them. So the body has to be in decent enough shape to be able to rebound. It's my understanding that stem cell transports are a last resort. So this is kind of a question of life or death. But it's really up to her medical team to determine whether or not she is ready uh, in these three months. Over the following weeks and up to three months, her medical team decides if she is able to receive the transplant. If they decide that she is, then my job begins. I get more blood work. Pea samples are sent to the lab. If all is good, then I am given filgrastim, the medication that increases my stem cell production over five days. The first four days, I get the shot somewhere close by in Chicago. But before the fifth day, I would fly to Boca Raton, um, which they would fly me with a, you know, with Joe or a friend. Um, And that's where they would give the fifth and final shot and where they do the whole blood washing uh, machine situation where they take my blood out with one arm and run it through the apheresis machine and then put it back in to the other arm. Uh, And that's done on site at the Gift of Life Center. Um. Side effects of the meds, some aches and pains, but very few people, like very, very, very low percentages of people have any long-term side effects. And the interesting thing is that at this stage in the waiting game, I'm told only 40-ish percent of folks who are in this stage and matched are actually called in to donate. So the question then became, 
what do I do from a trying to conceive perspective? Do I leave everything up to the universe and continue what we've been doing, i.e. sex ed time during that time, even with the low 5% likelihood that we conceive? Or do we actively avoid the chance of conception? Joey wanted to leave it up to the universe. But I felt scared. What if we got pregnant and then I got called in to do the stem cell transplant and I couldn't do it? Like, what if it was the one month that out of the three and a half years almost that we've been trying where it's like, oh, of course it's going to happen now. And now I won't be able to help this woman and save this woman's life. And I really felt called to to be the resource um, for her uh, and to kind of make sure that I could be if it was meant to be. I sort of thought, hey, it's been three plus years. Like, what's another three months? But the other thing that was happening in my brain during all of this is it started questioning kind of everything. And, And all of this kind of meant to be stuff started percolating. Like, what if I'm meant to continue trying and like these three months are somehow the only window that I would be able to have that 5% chance of conception? Like what if this was the month that it was going to happen and now I'm preventing it from happening? You know, this kind of stuff. Is there a universal trade-off with the possibility of saving this woman, removing our possibility to have a child? You know, if I don't end up being called in to donate, will I regret waiting those three months? Things around logistics, like I've got a bunch of plans that I that I have going on this summer. Do I pause everything and wait until I know I'm needed to support this woman, or do I continue planning and need to cancel plans? Like it was, it's been everything from like the logistics to the like existential, like universal questions that almost feel like, am I? Am I somehow like the chosen one to do this thing in this moment, which is just like so silly and ridiculous. And those are the thoughts that are flowing in my head at this time. It's like amazing, the thoughts that we have. So what I'm trying to do is orient to abundance, to letting go of control, to trusting that the timing of everything the stem cell donation if it's needed, my travel plans to Colombia and Panama and Europe, the egg retrieval, all of it, that it will all work out, that there is space for it all, there is time for it all, that the universe has my back, that I am part of this greater universal flow and things will work out the way they are meant to. So a little bit of a blip in this whole fertility journey towards motherhood, still being ambivalent, the whole thing journey. I mean, if you had told me a few months ago that right in the moment that we had pretty much decided that we were going to move ahead with the most intention that we had gotten ready to muster, that this totally out of the blue thing would fly into my world and make me pause once again, I would have 
<laughs> I would have never believed it. But here we are. And you know what? It's all okay. And like, what a gift to have even the possibility of saving another person's life. What a gift, regardless of whether I actually get called in to do it. It is a gift. And I'm sending out all of the like positive light vibes to this woman. I actually think I may have sort of seen her in a meditation, like God had gotten somehow connected to her energetically a few weeks ago, right after this happened. I I felt her. I saw a vivid picture of a woman clearly with um, cancer uh, in a hospital bed. Um, So I don't know if it was her but I'm kind of trusting it was. And, I, and I'm and i sending that woman in that picture that, came, that popped into my head, healing light and healing energy and just the thought of like, if you need me and if you need my stem cells, girl, I got you. I'm sharing this with all of you for two reasons. First, I think it's really important that you be moment by moment informed about the status of conception sexy time. Okay, I'm just kidding. But I do feel that it's really helpful to me to share. It feels right. feels good. And unlike other episodes of this podcast, which have sometimes honestly felt quite challenging to piece together because I was doing a lot of looking backwards and and sort of trying to create story around a vast array of thoughts and feelings that were floating through my mind and body for years, this whole thing flowed right out of me like it was meant to be shared right now. But the most important reason I'm sharing is because I'm called to bring awareness to the gift of life as an organization, to the fact that any person can be in this registry. With some caveats, I believe that there's some pre-existing conditions and other things that um, do prevent certain people. You can probably go on their website and find out what those are. But that so many of you can join this gift of life registry and possibly be able to save another human's life through not a whole lot of effort. This process is much less taxing on the body than it has been in the past. So I encourage everyone listening to order a swab kit from giftoflife.org and get yourself on the registry. Takes like a minute to go order it. Of course, it's free. Takes five minutes to do the collection and send it in. Um, check out the storage page on their site. Again, giftoflife.org. It is just Amazing to see how many beautiful lives have been saved through this process. How many people have met with their donors after they've received the stem cell donation. Like, this is not that big of an ask for folks like us if we're healthy, if we are able to donate. So, take a moment check out the website, 
put yourself in the system. If even like 5, 10, 20 people do it from listening to this podcast, hey, that could be one life saved. So thanks for letting me share a little bit of this journey, this hiccup in the fertility journey that is so worthwhile sharing. The other thing I wanted to remind you all of on this episode is that on April 22nd at 10 a.m. Central, I'm hosting an open space for folks who are ambivalent or have been ambivalent about parenthood, or maybe even are parents and continue to be ambivalent, maybe about having a second child or a third child, to come and talk, to share your stories, to be in a space where other people are sharing theirs and that it is okay to be ambivalent, unlike what society points us towards. Um, to register, it's askhuh.com slash ambivalence. It's free. It's a space. It's hopefully a time to connect with other humans who might be going through something similar. So come play. And I have to say, like, I've gotten so many beautiful messages from people, some friends, some acquaintances, some total strangers about their own journeys of ambivalence because they've listened to this show. So I feel called to to bring people together and, and to share space and do that. And the other thing I'll ask is like, if you know people who might be in this space of ambivalence, to share these share this podcast with them. I would love for more people to hear the stories of others who have been in their shoes. I know that recording these interviews has helped me tremendously get more comfort that I'm not alone. And from what I'm hearing from other people, it's given them comfort too. Or it's even given fodder for conversations for people in relationships who haven't even talked about kids yet. So I'm doing this, yes, to share my own story, but I'm doing it to serve. I'm doing this because I think it's important for our voices to be heard and important for us to know that like, even being ambivalent about all of this is a-okay. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. I'm grateful for all of you who listen or have listened. I'm continually blown away by the messages of support that I get. Feel free to keep them coming. Uh, I'm at Chris Mack, K-R-I-S-S-M-A-C on Instagram. Chrissy, K-R-I-S-S-I-E at askhan.com. And come join our space, our ambivalence space on Zoom. Askhan.com slash ambivalence, April 22nd at 10 a.m. Central. Bye, y'all. Hey, Podsters. It is so good to be with you. While this season is a lot about my journey, I really hope it is sparking you to think about things in your own life. Your relationship with your body, your partner, your friends, family. When you come alive or shut down. How much you focus on goal after goal or whether you're enjoying the journey, like I am very much trying to. Some days feels like that's easier than others.
If you are listening and do love the pod, can you give me some love and review it on Apple Podcasts or rate it on Spotify? It's how more people hear about it. And I'd love more people to hang out with here. And don't forget to ask, huh, and get more curious. I want to hear what you're getting curious about. Send me a note, Chris Mack, K-R-I-S-S-M-A-C on Instagram. Thanks. Love you all.